0: Well, good morning from the sunny South of England. I'm delighted today to be hearing from Richard Roberts. We're going to discuss about the changing experience of being church in this time on earth. So welcome, Richard. Good Thank morning. You. Tell me about your journey and where you're living now.
1: Okay, so um, I, 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 well, I start where I'm living now. I'm living in West Dorset um, in a small town on the border of Dorset, Somerset and Devon uh, with my wife Norma. Um, so we live, live on the edge of the town. Uh, we've got three adult children and uh, eight grandchildren who are scattered um, in different places. Um, so my, my original career was, was in medicine um, but um, I've always been involved in church leadership, and um, in the, particularly in the eighties, I um, uh, accidentally planted uh, First Church, um, which started as a home-based church, and then we moved into a hall when we grew. Um, we we moved away from from that uh, village after twenty-three years and to where we now live um so that was in 2007 and uh with, without the intention of starting another church but we we did in the end and when we're home-based um and we've grown um and we're, we're going to remain home-based and do it with smaller groups rather than uh move into a hall for various <laughs> reasons makes life a lot simpler um so I've been involved with um, net- church networks for, well, since the 1970s. Um, and I've had experience of churches in, particularly in South Africa and the US um, and the UK. So um, some international experience as well. So that's, yeah. that's me. But well,
0: we were together a few weeks ago in Rome in an ecumenical gathering, which you were part of the leadership facilitation of that. And you wrote a paper on the characteristics of New Charismatic Churches. And that paper's on the Vatican website. Uh, And you wrote it in response to a question asked by the Pontifical Council about who are you? And who are you meaning who are the New Charismatic Churches? Um, I've been involved with the New Charismatic Churches since the 70s um so how new is new i don't know uh, 50 years on they've certainly changed significantly from the original house churches that they were in the early 70s um so that must have been a difficult question to answer at that time about who are the new charismatic churches so what was your conclusion at the time of writing the paper which i think was it 2014 or something like that you wrote the
1: yeah so um so the, the, the conference we're part of is called The Gathering in the Holy Spirit, and it brings together leaders in the new churches from around the world and leaders in the Catholic charismatic renewal. Um, we, we call ourselves the new churches rather than the non-denominational churches for two reasons. One is because um, non-denominational just describes you by what you're not. You know, it's a bit like saying I'm a non-woman I'm a non-American, um, so. but what are you positively? Um, new, um, I think new in the Christian world, anything under about 150 years old is new and uh, charismatic, uh, open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and church uh, speaks for itself. So uh, we, we have this uh, conference that's been going since 2000, and uh, early on, a small group from that conference has been meeting with the Vatican because they're, they're committed to dialogue with all the churches. And uh, so they thought, here's a good opportunity to get a representative sample of the new churches. And I joined that uh, particular uh, conversation in 2012. and. Um, what became very clear was that the Catholics couldn't understand the new churches and the new churches couldn't understand the Catholics. And um, so I I think I was asked to join because it was thought that I might be able to speak Catholic. And so we spent the next um, uh, six years uh, trying to explain who We were because that was the big question like, who are you? You know, are you evangelical? Are you Pentecostal? You know, are you Baptist? Do you really exist as an entity? So um, that involved quite a lot of thinking, writing, research, and we would bring the whatever we'd done back to the Vatican to the Pontifical Council for promoting Christian unity, which sounds like something the police would ask you to say if they think you're drunk driving um, so we would bring our conclusions back and then um, we debate them again and so we we were able to answer their questions about well what do you believe you know are, are you orthodox in your christian beliefs what do you do how do you appoint leaders um, how do you associate with one another which is where the idea of networks comes in and that's one of the most difficult things for people outside of the new church is to understand, you know, the difference between a network and a denomination. So so we published the paper, which you can get from the Vatican website, or I think we're putting a link below from my website that's a copy of the paper. Um, so that, that's gone out to the 5,000 plus Catholic bishops around the world and other people so it's uh, it's there to help promote understanding um, and because it's very difficult to articulate who you are isn't it it's a mm-hmm. bit like the old joke with you know one goldfish says to another how's the water today and the other goldfish says well what's water and it's very difficult to say what's going on around you so yeah. spent a long time trying to do that and that's up there now on the Vatican website if yeah. uh, you're interested
0: yeah so i'd encourage people listening to this to to access that paper but i know it's briefly what was your summary points then and have you noticed any changes since then I mean, we've had covid and shape of churches changing but in terms of what did you say then as a as conclusion and would you say anything different now
1: yeah i think um what we what we what we said was just described things and we tried to take a long view we tried to take an international view so for example i ended up with uh, doing some research and talking to some people in the chinese house churches so i was trying to get like a, an overall sort of meta view rather than what's it like in england what's it like in the us um and so um just things like how are leaders appointed, how are leaders raised up, how are leaders trained, those sorts of things. Mm. And of course, generally, it's more of an apprenticeship model. Although in the US, of course, people love their formal theological qualifications. Um, but, but generally, it's more of a, a learning on the job uh, model. Um, beliefs, I think we we would... Adhere to the Nicene Creed. We're Trinitarian. Um, you know, we baptise people. We 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 have uh, breaking of bread. We have communion. So we we do adhere to sacraments. Um, we have accountability structures, which sometimes work well and often don't. But um, uh, so. So yeah I think we we established that we're we're, um, we're church um, I suppose apostolic and prophetic ministry would be a key concept and of course um, I tried to describe that simply, and I know that the waters on that have been muddied hugely by certain movements, uh, particularly in the u s which uh, have have promoted a particularly strong uh and at times slightly bizarre view of of those ministries but um uh yeah so it's basically just trying to to say to uh, people we don't have two heads uh, (laughs) and we're, we're okay we're we're interested in mission we're interested in holistic mission we're interested in church planting we're interested in evangelism we're interested in feeding the hungry um and you know whatever else we do so so yeah so that that was the idea really of the paper
0: and just thinking back 50 years ago uh they were the conversations with the the traditional denominational churches who are you?
1: yeah i was quite
0: young then but uh, i just remember you know leaving as we left the pentecostal church to be part of a house church you know the same conversations were, were going on then locally
1: yes and of course in the uk the, the charismatic movement is now so well established in the church of england we've got you know we've got a we've got a um, an archbishop of canterbury who's charismatic we've got the biggest church in, in england htb is charismatic um it uh, and and we're not seen as the lunatic fringe anymore Um, People in the new churches are accepted into local um, leaders' gatherings on an equal footing. Um, Although I think for the average person in the street, we can be quite difficult to to understand. Mm. But um, on the church scene, we're we're not seen as being too weird, most of us.
0: I suppose one of the challenges is where can they find us if if we don't have buildings?
1: Well, they can only find us if we, if we're not so involved with church that we don't have friendships.
0: Great answer! Wow. And following on from that, I mean, many are speaking of a new era in church today. It does seem like there've been significant cultural, social, and relational changes in society, but also in church. And there are many different expressions of church emerging today, which might be a challenge to the new charismatic churches that are 50 years old. I know you've studied the way church networks develop. Um, Can you explain to me how you see this? I know you've got some some circle diagrams.
1: Okay. so I I think what what it's important to realise is that for many of us in network church, we have a theological commitment to it. It's not just because somehow it it sort of suits the modern uh, ethos, although I think it does. Um, I think network church relies primarily on relationship, and I think people are very um, aware these days of the importance of uh, relationships. People seek relationships. So th- there's two um, t- two arms to this. One is I think Trinitarian theology, um, where um, the the, the the Trinity is a relational entity. Uh, it's, the Trinity is not an organization. Um, there is some hierarchy within the Trinity. So, you know, hierarchy is not a bad thing, but it's primarily relational rather than institutional. And I think that um, what Network Church does is it puts relationship front and center of that conversation about what what's church life about. So if we look at the New Testament, um, I think we see we see several different ways in which the church is conceived. So so, so this this is um, meant to be um, a New Testament at home church. Um, all the churches in the New Testament met in in homes. Um, we've got one example um, for Paul um, the lecture hall of Therese meeting in a workplace but essentially church was in a home and uh, a sort of middle class um, reasonably well off person's home would be able to see something between about 18 and 50 people, 50 if it was you know big but probably, so most of the Letters that we see like if you look at one corinthians where where Paul is writing to churches and and saying, you know one of you goes hungry and the other one is eating this isn't a huge uh gathering he's talking about this is this is a a meal in a home where some people are keeping back their food from from other people and not sharing it and and once we once we eat, appreciate the importance of of home churches in the in the early christian centuries um, we we gain a deeper understanding of i think what church is meant to be about Um, so the 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 basic unit of church was generally quite small um, but but they were linked together in quite strongly with other churches in what we call a local network. So it wasn't that there was a Baptist church over here that linked mainly with Baptist churches, you know, 30 miles away, 50 miles away, 100 miles away. It was more like you've got a, a little church here, one here, one here, and they're linked together, and they're linked together relationally. They're not not linked together because they're an organisation. So we've got two two entities here. One is the church in the home, and the other is what you might call the local network. And um, so Paul was able to write to the church in in Philippi or, or into a whole region, into Galatia, because they formed a local network. And this strong relational unity is evidenced by the fact that when Paul left Ephesus he was able to gather together the leaders of these churches in one place he could call them together. So um, we we've got three entities that we commonly see it was the house the church in the house, the local network and the universal church, you know the I will build my church uh, of Jesus, Church Big C, which is translocal and exists through time. But I want to add a fourth entity to that, and that's the idea of of wider apostolic networks. call them apostolic because they they were linked with particular figures. So um, we see this particularly... In the Gentile mission with Paul and Barnabas. This is this is simplified because um, if this is Corinth, it was actually Paul and Apollos, wasn't it, who influenced Corinth. So in, in one locality, Paul was influential. In another locality, John was the person they looked to. In elsewhere, it may have been Peter. And so we see that there were strong bonds with particular leaders who'd, who'd helped to find those churches or had an ongoing relationship with them. So there was John in Asia Minor, there was Paul um, in, um, uh, you know, stretching up through, through Turkey and um, uh, Europe. And there was Peter in Judea and, um, and and probably Rome. You could also include the Jerusalem Church, where James was a, a, a particular uh, strong figure. Um, so there were these strong bonds between churches in a region. Um, the the churches themselves were were strong local communities. You know, so so when uh, when Peter, Paul or John wrote to them, they told them what to do with one another, didn't they? You know, love one another, greet one another. So, which is quite manageable in a group of of 18 or 20 people. Um, so uh, you get this translocal apostolic leadership that would link with Churches in different uh, areas. Um, I could say a lot more, but essentially, uh, I, I can give you, uh, I can quote Anglican and Pentecostal um, theologians who both say this idea of the network was particularly important um, in, in in the early church. That there were that there were sort of communicable Paul and people like him acted as communicative nodes between these different groupings. So, um, and it was based on a kinship structure. So, this was like a small extended family. And this became a sort of family where the links between people were relational. And this was a relational bond. And the, the links between apostles was also relational. And we can see this with Paul, because he described himself as a as a father, didn't he? Or in another place, as, as a mother. So, so this is a sort of network structure, and it's primarily relational. And I think that, um, to come back to your question, I think that that's what people are discovering. They want to rediscover the relational nature of the church
0: fascinating thank you so today we have 50 years plus of networks worldwide but in the uk i think of, we would call them perhaps streams as well as networks with what we would have called we do call apostolic leaders uh, but in the last few years many of those pioneering apostolic leaders have passed Um, And it seems, uh, well, it doesn't just seem, uh, I hear from lots of church leaders that even before COVID with lockdown, uh, people were engaging less in church, you know, but then culturally, socially things have changed. Younger people want instant, um, you know, communication is virtual a lot of the time. Um, So how do you see this network model emerging in today's culture
1: well i think um that's, that's got a lot of um <laughs> content in there i think that the the thing about home church is that it's ideally participative and even those of us who are older it's it's I'm not speaking for everybody here, but for me, it's very boring to go along, listen to a 40-minute Bible lecture uh, every week, even with a very inspiring teacher, um, sing lots and lots of songs. Um, I mean, I love to do that occasionally. But... I think for most of us, what we want is something we feel we can participate in. I don't mean as a free for all. You need a a good process. It needs leadership. But I think that um, that 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 smaller communities um, somehow meet the present need of many people. Um, I think you know we live in a in an internet age, don't we? And And a a lot of the the way, particularly Protestant churches are run, um, relate back to um, the the 16th century, when most people weren't very well educated, didn't have access to to information. And so what was needed was was essentially a a weekly lecture. I, I like the the lectures i i like giving the (laughs) i'm i'm using very secular words here i I like i like doing the speaking i i love the bible i'm I'm a trained biblical theologian i've got a masters in biblical theology and you know hermeneutics and that sort of thing I, i love that but does it actually help people to really engage with god and i think i think that's the issue so i think i think what people i think basically the church should be a community so it's primarily relational but it should develop disciples and it should enable those disciples to you know serve society whether it's in you know relief of poverty Um, helping people in distress evangelism church planting so so i I think if we ask that basic question what's the best way to create community what's the best way to develop disciples and 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 i think one of the good ways to developing disciples is helping people to develop the right rhythms in their lives so rhythms of prayer Rhythms of community, rhythms of accountability, all those things. Um, and 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 so so I think that there is a very wide appeal. I was listening the other day to a lecture in a, um, a, a online in an Australian evangelical Bible college, and it was talking about the way in which this move towards smaller I mean, some people use the terms missional communities. I'm not Mm. sure whether I like that term, actually. Mm. But um, it's there, you know, and and a lot of people want it. Of course, a lot of people also want the stuff put on for them. Mm. And who am I to deny anybody what, what they want? But the problem is, you see, that a lot of... What is now traditional charismatic church is based on the motorway service station. So basically, you're whizzing down the down the motorway of life at breakneck speed, but you need caffeine to keep you going. So you stop off for your caffeine break. Well, church can be like that. You know, you're whizzing down um, life's motorway, but you you need this this God boost to cheer you up <laughs> and so so that's what church can become um and so uh, it's a different model the other thing is that with with, with more locally based um, communities is that you're not duplicating are you so that in more traditional churches you have a Sunday meeting and then you have a home group so you can do, lot of the church stuff in the home group well why why duplicate because that that abstracts you from your local community you know you can't go down the local pub you can't join in with a walking group if all your time's taken up with church Mm. so we have to we have to have church as a place where their discipleship is developed in community Mm. but their ministry is seen as what they do in their daily lives and we're empowering people to be effective followers of Jesus by which I don't mean sort of salesmen for God but people who can engage in ordinary conversations who can who, who can offer to pray for people who can listen who can simply explain their faith who can do whatever the river of living water that's flowing out of them. Wow, wherever that finds its level, they can do that effectively. So that, that may sound a bit idealistic, and I'm sure it is, but I think it does, that's the does potential.
0: sound relational. It does sound like we need to be connected to the communities where we are rather than yes. separate. Yeah, it does. And, the, and that's, that's why we have
1: this hidden, we have this. We have a hit and run model of evangelism.
0: Mm.
1: You know, where, where we rush out and drag back a few um converts into the security of the fort and then we bolt the doors. Mm. Which isn't very incarnational, is it? It's not going, you know, Jesus dwelt among us, pitched mm. his tent among us. So uh and I believe if we have we develop friendships with with ordinary people around and about us we, we won't need particularly to look for opportunities I hate that phrase because they'll they'll ask us about the hope that's within us so and they, the Holy Spirit
0: why. will be acting on our behalf as well
1: absolutely and you'll be able to say a word in season mm. to somebody. <laughs>
0: And what comes to mind then is we're meant to be led by the Holy Spirit, and if everything is predictable, there's not much opportunity to be led.
1: Yeah, I I got on a I had a fifteen-minute um, train journey to Gatwick Airport on one occasion, and um, so I got got on this train and it was absolutely packed, of standing room only. And I and I carry my luggage on my back and. That I got on the train and there was a and I had to stand right near to a man who was ranting and raving. And he was a big guy. And I thought he's gonna I thought I'm gonna not catch his eye because he might hit somebody. And so I turned around from him and my my luggage on my back bumped into him. So I I apologized to him and I said to him, um I'm really sorry, he said, no, it's not your fault, he said, it's it's these trains, he said, they make me so mad, I travel on them, and he went on like this for about five minutes, and I thought, I've got to get him off it, and I said, oh, where are you going, and he said, oh, I'm I'm going to my home, he said, I, I have a lovely home, I've had a life, and he told me about it, and he'd almost been killed, and by somebody, and all sorts of things, he told me all about it, and I thought, thought I've got to get off the train soon, so Lord, give me Give me something to say to him. And I thought, I'm going to say to him, I think somebody's got their eye on you. And before I could say that, he said to me, I think somebody's got their eye on me. <laughs> so I said to him, yeah, I've got to get off now. I said, but I, I think that the, I think somebody is looking after you and I'll pray for you. And he took my hand, literally, he took my hand like I was the Pope and he kissed my hand. <laughs> And, wow. i mean i think those those things can be so so life-giving
0: wow, wow. But, it, but
1: i think if you feel oh, i've got to get this message across to yes. him it 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 would be death-giving and that's not the end of the story and he didn't fall down on his knees and repent but he he there was clearly a god connection in yes. in that guy's life yeah. and and we just tapped into it so so yeah no i i just think it it's it is about having context for for relationship not and i don't like the term relational evangelism because i think that's a bit like the you know the agenda. Like ulterior motive yeah. But, yeah but i i do like that idea of having relationships and loving people and
0: yeah.
1: and praying for people Sorry, that's that's an overly long explanation.
0: Well, this has been a great introduction, Richard, and I look forward to our next conversation where we'll dig a bit deeper into some of these topics. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And uh, I'll see you again soon.
1: Yeah, thank you. Pleasure to be with you, Christine.
0: Thank you for listening. And there's a link to the paper on the Vatican website or Richard's website below. So we'll see you all next time.